And as we take time to open God's word, shall we pray and ask him to help us to understand what he has for us today from his word. Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that you've given to us your word. Your word is life. Your word gives us hope. Your word challenges us. Your word speaks to our hearts. It can sometimes cut deep within and show us our sin and show us our need for the Savior. And so we come as a needy people and I would ask that you would take your word, help me to share it accurately, faithfully, but by your Holy Spirit, would you meet us where we're at to touch our hearts that we might honor you as King of all kings and Lord of all lords who reigns within. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The great 19th century emperor, Napoleon Bonaparte, he commissioned an artist to paint a portrait of him standing there defiantly with one hand concealed within his waistcoat. Napoleon was a great warrior, On the 22nd of June, 1812, with over 300,000 soldiers, Napoleon invaded Russia. His goal was to establish another world empire. It seemed as if nothing could stop him, but God sent an extremely harsh winter that year that destroyed three-quarters of his army and began Napoleon's demise. 129 years later, on the very same day that Napoleon chose to invade Russia, June the 22nd, this time 1941, another arrogant and powerful man, Adolf Hitler, purposely chose that exact date to begin Operation Barbarossa. It was an operation to crush Russia. He declared that he would do what Napoleon had failed to do. At that time, Russia was unprepared for the aggression of the German army. And the army moved quickly with Blitzkrieg, with little resistance. Hitler, in fact, expected that he would finish this campaign in a matter of weeks, possibly a few months. But bad weather set in. The rains fell, the armored vehicles became bogged, and then came the severe winter, and Germany's soldiers were simply clothed in summer uniforms, and Germany's heavy machinery and tanks often failed to fire, and with three-quarter of a million German casualties, Germany withdrew, and it was the beginning of the end. God delights in humbling the proud, those who refuse to bow before him. And this morning in our studies of the book of Daniel, we come to Daniel chapter 4, and we have there a record of one of the greatest of rulers who ever lived. A ruler over one of the greatest of kingdoms that ever existed, but a man who was proud, arrogant, And God humbled him so that God alone might receive the glory due to his name. 
So please turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. There's a lot of verses here that we want to go through. I'm not assuming that you know the content of this chapter. Many will, some won't. This is actually a chapter that is written by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, probably with the help of Daniel. And the king shares how God humbled him as an arrogant man and changed his heart. I've called this morning's message the humbling of a king. The humbling of a king. And as we go through this, I really want you to ask yourselves, who is truly the king on the throne of your heart? Is it you yourself? Or is it the Lord God who reigns? Am I king of my own life? Or is the Lord that king upon the throne of my heart? Our passage begins in chapter 4 here with the royal record. Verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. These words that are recorded here are a royal record, a king's declaration that he wants all of his kingdom and the extended world to know. The king's address, we read, is to all people, all nations, all languages that dwell on the earth. And so it's to everyone. We've neither heard nor seen such a response of this king in any of the previous chapters. We saw King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 1 where he had conquered Jerusalem. God had given Jerusalem into his hands and he had taken as a mighty conqueror many of the nobles, nobility of Jerusalem as captives to train them to be his servants. In chapter 2, he had a dream of a great image of gold and silver and bronze and iron of kingdoms that rise and kingdoms that fall. And then there was a great stone that crushed them all. And at the end of this, King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges before Daniel, truly your God, Daniel, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. But he never bowed before Daniel's God. In Daniel 3, the king decides to make his own golden image and have everybody bow down and worship that image. And we read of the miracle of the, the sparing of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego as they're cast into the fiery furnace. And at the end of that, the king blesses the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and sets out a de decree that no one should speak anything against this God. But even though two times he is given a glimpse of God's goodness and God's sovereignty and power, it has never changed him. And I wonder with those of us here today or those of us watching online, has your understanding of who God is, has it changed who you are? 
Has it gone from your head to your heart to how you live? If it's real, if you believe that there is a God who is the God alone who should reign upon your heart, then it should affect everything you do. It needs to become personal. And in our text in verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar now wants everybody to know what the, whole, what the Most High God has worked, he says, for me. You see, it's personal. It's become life-changing. It has to go from the head to the heart. We read of the king's acknowledgement in verse 3. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. He acknowledges that there is a king and there is a kingdom that is infinitely greater than his kingdom. That there is a kingdom coming that has no end. There is a ruler before whom he acknowledges he must now bow and that his kingdom must depend upon the kingdom of this one who rules from on high. So what brought about this radical change from chapters 1 through 3? What had changed for the king? Well, it was the dreadful dream that he had, a fearful dream that began in verse 4. Please follow as I read. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the, magi of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the vision of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen by all the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwell in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, Leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. 
in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, Declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. What a dream Nebuchadnezzar has here. Verse 4 begins with signs that this was a dangerous time for the king. Danger was there. Because we read in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom at this time was prosperous. He had built for himself the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient seven great wonders of the ancient world. These were golden years of his reign. He enjoyed unlimited luxuries His security was there, accomplishments. He was master of all. He was at rest within himself. So why would that be a time of danger? If if anything, you'd expect it would be a time of peace. But the danger is that when you come to a place of rest, when you have everything going for you, who then needs the Lord? And some of us Christians, we can act that way. We can have such a good job, paying well, a nice home, all the conveniences, and we then rest spiritually. We let things slide by, and before we know it, our lives become self-satisfied and self-sufficient. And who really needs God? For Nebuchadnezzar already, God had in his mercy come and and got Nebuchadnezzar's attention twice, once with the image of gold and the, the stone that not cut from man's hands that destroyed the nations, and then from the three Hebrew men where he saw one like the son of the gods who was in that furnace. But though he knew about the God of these people, he failed to acknowledge this God in his heart and in his life. And so it was a time of spiritual danger because after all, I have everything. Who needs God? He'd already rejected God's mercy twice. It became a time not only of difficulty and danger, but a time of distress for the king. Verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts On my bed and the visions of my head, they troubled me. This word troubled has the idea that we kind of miss out. They terrified me. The terror was not coming from his enemies. It was not coming from instability of his kingdom. 
but it was coming because of what he saw in that dreadful dream. He senses in this dream a message from God or perhaps from the gods. And he senses a warning that must be pursued, a warning that cannot be ignored. So once more, the kingdom orders all of his counselors and his magicians, his wise men, the Chaldeans to come. And of course, they can't answer his dream. They fail again. Where do we go to when we have times of trouble? When life is battering us about, where do we turn to? We won't get help and comfort, at least very little comfort from unsaved friends. We need to turn to the living God. And often God works through Christian friends who can encourage us and point us to the God who is faithful. And finally, we have in verse 8, Daniel who hears about the king's dream and Daniel comes before the king. And even though Daniel has been secularly trained and though the king has changed his name to a pagan name, and though he has a role that is purely secular in the kingdom, yet he was faithful to his God through all of these things. There was always something different about Daniel, and the king knew, knew that. And that's why he states in verse 8, in him, in Daniel, is the spirit of the holy God. The king can't explain it, so they're the best words he can get. Something is different. His God has changed him. His faith is different from all of the rest of my society. And it ought to be that wherever we work or whether wherever we go to school or university, that we stand out as being different from the secular world in a good way. That we have a different ethic, a different morality, a different caring a tenderness that is there so that people may not understand what it is, but they say the spirit of his God has made him different. It was a time of distress for the king. He's terrified, and so he's trying to find out what all of this means. You see, it was a time of not only distress, but a time of dreaming for the king. And what a dream. It began well. It begins with a great tree, a strong tree, with branches reaching up into the heavens. And everybody could see the glory of this tree. It was giving shade. It was giving food. It was giving everything that the beasts that were underneath the tree and the birds that were in the tree sheltering there. It was giving them everything that could ever be needed. But... Then in verse 13, a watcher comes, a holy one, an angelic being. An angel comes from God and cries loudly, chop it down. Cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves. Scatter its fruit. Until only a stump and its roots are left. Verse 15 says, leave that stump, leave the roots, bind it with bands of iron in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. 
Why? In order that the living may know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. What a terrifying dream. What a terrifying judgment. What a dire warning that is being given. And not just a dire warning, but there's a purpose in this warning. That God, in his mercy, wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand that he is the living God. That there is a most high God who rules above and beyond man's petty, temporary, transient kingdoms. And this God alone is in control. And he gives to it gives each kingdom to whomsoever he wills, often to the lowest of men. And I think about that verse there, verse 11. What a laugh when you have people like in the past year, the Trumps of this world or the Putins of this world or the Jinpings of this world or the Bidens of this world now who see themselves as powerful rulers, rulers over powerful nations. And God says, I place the lowest of men on this earth to rule. He's not saying that all leaders are of the basest of sorts. But he's saying that all rulers at best are undeserving people. And they are only on their thrones because the most high God has placed them there. So what does this dreadful dream mean? Thankfully, we are given the inspired interpretation in verses 19 through to 27. But the scene, did you notice, begins with the apprehension of Daniel, who is about to address the king in verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said to Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answers and says, My Lord, may the dream concerning, be concerning those who hate you, and its interpretation concerning your enemies. The apprehension of Daniel here, as he hears of the dream and as he understands what it is speak, spoken about, it says he is astonished, a word that in the Hebrew means he was struck dumb. He was stunned. He doesn't want to report such tragic news to the king. But the king seems to calm Daniel and says, Belteshazzar, don't let it's the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Daniel says, "May my lord, may this dream concern your enemies, concern those who hate you, but not you. And the king says, tell me, what does it mean? And so Daniel, with carefulness and with wisdom and with compassion, he tells the truth. I'm reminded that all of us, when we are living around and working around and studying around unsaved people, we need to speak with compassion and truth, with wisdom around those that are outside if we want to share our faith in the Lord Jesus, we'd better first build up relationships and they need to see within us people who are genuine and caring. And Daniel is caring for his king. The analysis of this dream, 
that is given by God. It's not good news at all. It was read in our scriptures earlier on. This tree, verse 20, grew and became strong, its heights into the heavens. Its fruit was abundant, verse 21. O king, verse 22, you have grown, you have become strong, you are great. Your kingdom has reached to the heavens, your dominion to the end of the earth. But, O king, there is a watcher from heaven, an angel that come and has declared, saying that your kingdom, that you will be chopped down and only a stump will be left. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. O Nebuchadnezzar, you are this great king. You are the tree. You are the one whose branches are glorious and an angelic watcher comes from heaven and God has dealt with you in mercy again and again, but now he deals in judgment. And you will be cast out into the fields to graze like an ox until seven times pass over you. That seven times could be seven periods of time that we're not told about, or seven years. Until he truly acknowledges that the Most High God rules and gives his kingdoms to whoever he wishes. In one sense, God, Daniel could have stopped right there and then and said, this is the interpretation of the dream. And he would indeed have de delivered God's message faithfully and clearly. Judgment, O king, is coming. But Daniel felt a greater responsibility, one where he would have courage to speak to the king about his sins and about God's offer of mercy. We read of this admonition by Daniel in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous in your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. He says, my advice, my counsel, my pleading with you, that it might be acceptable before you this way. And with courage, he says to this man who has the power of life and death over him, break off your sins. O king, deal with your sins and your iniquities. Change by living righteously, by being merciful to the poor, and God will see it, and perhaps God will have mercy upon you and cause you to prolong your prosperity. In other words, break off your sins, and God will have mercy upon you. And today, if you are here and you need to be saved, and the Spirit of God convicts you and speaks to your heart, then the message of the gospel would be you need to break off your sins and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is the only one who is the hope on earth and in heaven, the one who loved you and came to this world to die upon the cross for your sins. Break off your sins and turn to him in faith. And if you want to put your family back together, then break off your sinful attitudes and sinful actions and be broken before God. And if you want God's blessing upon your life once more and you feel it's been withdrawn, then break off your apathy and your self-rule and your sin. Don't stubbornly hold on to that, but turn to him. Don't think it's all going to be okay just giving enough time. It won't be. And I am sure that King Nebuchadnezzar at this time, at least for a moment, thought about Daniel's plea. Perhaps even it troubled him for weeks at a time. But he soon seemed to have forgot. In fact, we read that one year passes and Nebuchadnezzar gets on with life until we read that it was the time for divine discipline. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has, it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. It all began here with the king's arrogance, his pride. Listen again to the first person, personal pronouns as he speaks about his kingdom. He's walking around his palace there and in verse 30, He says, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling of my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And indeed, Nebuchadnezzar had built the finest city in the world. We read about it that it had walls around the city, 100 kilometers of walls that were so thick that you could race four chariots around those walls and they could do that. The city held two million people. It was built in symmetry. It had 100 bronze gates, an 11-acre palace. The main street was paved with enamel tiles with images of bulls and dragons. It was indeed magnificent. Look at what I've done. All for my glory. All for my majesty. And God had had enough. The one who rules from on high, the Lord God himself, had been patient with the king. He had given warnings again and again, through his, and even through his servant Daniel, just one year earlier, a call to repent. And for one solid year, the king had refused to repent. But is that true of us as well? Could it be that God has been speaking to our hearts 
our heart, your heart, again and again, week after week, month after month, maybe year after year, and you have refused to acknowledge him, refused to bow before the Lord Jesus, refused to turn from your sin, and you stubbornly stay the way you are. I am the king of my own life and my own little empire. With all of us, if God doesn't judge quickly, we grow careless. And we forget that God in his mercy has given us opportunity after opportunity to turn from sin to himself. And God's judgment fell swiftly with a voice from heaven. The kingdom has departed from you. Verse 32, and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. The very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like the bird's claws. One moment the king is clear-minded and sharp and full of arrogance and suddenly his mind snaps. And in a moment he is reduced to an animal-like state, insanity for seven long periods of time. He had acted like a beast spiritually and God said, I will make you a beast mentally. He began to act like an ox. There's a medical condition that is called boanthropy where some have gone through that very same thing where they believe they're nothing but an animal and they act like an animal. And Nebuchadnezzar eats grass. He crawls on all fours in the fields His personal appearance, he lets go with matted hair and uncut nails living in the open fields until time after time after time after seven times pass over him until suddenly in the mercy and working of God, he bows before the God of this universe. He humbles himself before this sovereign God and acknowledges there is a God and King to whom he must bow. But I wonder about you. Have you acknowledged that there is a King to whom you must bow, the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you insist that you will rule in your own heart, you will do your own thing, live your own life, because you are the King, and you are your own Lord? What does it take for God to get your attention before you turn from your sin and cry out to him? Finally, we read of the king's restoration, verses 34 and 35. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. 
For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? What does it take to humble somebody's self-sufficient pride? What does it take to humble us? Unlike until we rather like Nebuchadnezzar lift our eyes to the Lord God in verse 34 and acknowledge him as Lord and God, our Lord and God. And until we allow him, place him seated upon the throne of our hearts, until that we are acting like beasts. And only when we bow before God and trust in the Lord Jesus as our saviour can we understand what real life is all about. And we see in Nebuchadnezzar now he finally wants to bring praise to God and honour the God who created him for his glory. No longer is the king the prideful, arrogant, self-sufficient ruler king of his own destiny, but he bows and acknowledges that there is a sovereign God and an eternal kingdom, one before whom we must bow, either in this life as Lord and Saviour or in eternity as Lord but our judge. The chapter closes, verse 36. At the same time, the king writes, My reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. The Lord God humbled the arrogant king. The Lord God made Nebuchadnezzar realize that his kingdom and his life was a gift from God. And so must we acknowledge that there is one God, one Lord, one king of our hearts and our lives. Not us, but the living God whose kingdom has no end. You cannot serve two masters. Either Christ is king or you are. It's time to make up your mind. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I plead with you, you that as you have been speaking to hearts of people that are here. And I trust that your Holy Spirit has been working in lives who have been challenged. We plead that some who have over and over again rejected your mercy and gone their own way, Father, I plead that they might turn to you in faith to bow before the Lord Jesus, to acknowledge him and the sacrifice that he made for our sins as 
their Lord and Saviour. And Father, for those of us who profess to know Christ and yet have sat upon the throne of our own hearts, Lord God, break our stubborn sin and might we enthrone you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.